Hey, Quirky HR listener, it's Dana. I wanted to take a minute before we jump into this episode and just say thank you. This podcast was an idea that I had a couple years ago, and it took me a little bit to actually get the guts to make it happen from idea to publishing the first episode. And so I really just wanted to say thank you for listening. If you've listened to one episode or all of them, I'm just really grateful for the traction that this podcast has gained over the last almost a year, which is wild to think about. I also wanted to remind you that if you're a fan of the podcast, it helps it to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to it on. It also is really helpful if you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. So on Instagram, we're at It's Just Business Podcast, and on Facebook, we're at It's Just Business Podcast and Coaching. And then lastly, it helps the podcast if you can share this with someone. There are hundreds of thousands of people who work in human resources or who work in operations and do some human resources. And if you find value in any episodes that you're listening to and want to pass this along to a colleague or a peer or a coworker or a fellow student if you're in school, that can just help this podcast reach more people. So any and all support, I am entirely grateful for. And if you just want to stay a listener, that's great too. So I wanted to thank you again. And thank you for making this fun little idea that I had in my head um, actually something that people enjoy. Now we'll get on to the show. Welcome back to Quirky HR. We are joined today by Stephanie Tischler. She is the owner of Tischler Coaching Services. And we're going to talk career transition, the concept of work, the concept of um, skill sets and looking at them differently, kind of all, all high-level HR stuff. So Stephanie, welcome to Quirky HR. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So you own a coaching business, but prior to that, you were working with some large brands um, in a in a leadership capacity. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your career trajectory and and how you landed in the coaching field? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. I started my career in advertising sales on the television side. So I worked for Discovery Channel and in the 90s jumped over into the internet field. So it was a very, very exciting time, very fast paced. And there I was in my mid-20s calling on some of the most seasoned uh, marketing managers and SVPs brands in the world, like Kellogg's, Ford, General Motors. And I had a life coach myself who really talked to me about how to position not only myself professionally, but the brand that I was representing, how to not keep talking and how to actively listen to really sell. And then about um, 20 years into the um, into my career, I had the opportunity of a lifetime. I worked for Oprah Winfrey for eight years, and I actually worked from home long before anybody worked from home. And then I had suffered a really big personal loss, which forced me to look at the world a little differently. And I really honed in on the skills that my life coach had given me um, in my late 20s and 
thought about, I immediately was volunteered for, or voluntold, as they say, and my schedule was full. And my husband kept saying to me, um, do something that's meaningful for you. So I Googled how to become a life coach. And I really wanted to help people who were going through a career transition that I had. And so not only do I do career transition, I also do professional development and business development. It's a nice combination of helping people really figure out what they're passionate about and how to get joy out of their daily lives at work. Okay. Now we're going to talk all things career and and how that intertwines with HR, but you have to, you have to answer the question of if you met Oprah. Of course I did. Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) That's amazing. What a cool, uh, that's like a cool fun fact or like something nobody knows about me. That's amazing. Just great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So cool. So, um, Obviously, most recent current events is is the pandemic, right? And I think that has really changed the way that the labor market views work. Mm-hmm. And so what are you seeing with the people that you're working with in terms of um, what they're seeking out of employment? You know, I think that's a really interesting topic. I think it depends on the area of the country. I think it depends on the age of the applicant. And I think it depends on that person's career experience. Um, I know that the um, older millennials are were really excited to be at home. And now they're sort of rethinking that. Like, I think a hybrid situation would really work well because it gives them that work-life balance, which that generation tends to just really, really value more than anything. Um, I think sometimes the more seasoned managers um, are split. I know some that are working from home full time. I know some that are demanding that their staff comes back in. And I think it's really unfortunate if you can't keep an open mind to keep your employees happy that potentially you might risk losing them. I remember seeing a, a news story and it was about the the great resignation and and it was this woman and I want to say she worked in a school system or in some type of mental health um, capacity. And during the pandemic, I don't know if she had gotten laid off, but she found herself in a completely different career role. Um, I want to say it was like retail or customer service or something like that. And she was speaking about how the pandemic forced her to kind of reevaluate her values and how that relates to work and that it wasn't worth the stress or the anxiety or the burnout that that previous position was was bringing to her life and um do you think employers are kind of keeping up with the the demands the needs the wants the desires of the labor market generation aside um Yes and no. I think they're they're trying to. I think they're a little bit behind. Um, I think, you know, everyone was so reactionary to the pandemic. It was like, oh my gosh, we have to send everybody home. You know, we nobody would have opted to do that ever. And now I think they're um they're starting to realize that no matter what generation, um, you have to keep your employees happy to keep them long term. You know, about 20 years ago, it may have been pretty common for people, maybe even going back further, to stay in one place of work for a really long time. That's just not a thing anymore. People, you know 
bounce around and jump around. And um, in terms of consistency and longevity, I think employers really want to keep people there. And so that's what I think they're focusing on now. Yeah, we, I think in the HR world, we look at that, you know, job hopping mentality to to be an, a negative quality, you know, someone that stayed at a job for a year or two is is not a, a viable candidate. But on the flip side of that, that's how you increase your salary in many cases, right, is to explore other opportunities. So, you know, do you think, what is HR's role in all of this? Do you think that we um, kind of pigeonhole candidates? How do we contribute to this problem? I think that somebody who's interviewing or reviewing a resume should look at it with like widen the lens on it. You know, not just this person's looking to um, increase their salary, but like what experience can they bring to us that we don't already have? You know, I think um, even in academics, institutions are looking to build a community of all varying types. And I think if a human resource department looks at candidates that way, um, you know, pieces of the puzzle to to make up the overall picture, I think they'll end up with something that fits really nicely. I think we just, I think we're very quick to put on assumptions. Mm. You know, it's, it, it, it's your resume, it's your first impression, and I understand all of that. But then we see a job hopper and we assume that they, you know, got lazy or disengaged or they got fired or, you know, any of those negative reasons for leaving employment rather than seeing a candidate for their actual experience, whether it's six months or two years, it's experience that may be relevant. Well, I can't blame a human resource person or anyone for that matter. If, you know, somebody's job hopped six months, 12 months, you know, two years, how frequently. Um, However, I would you you don't want to miss an excellent candidate if they have the skill set. And I think just by communicating with them, you can get rid of some assumptions by saying, you know, why did you leave? And that person obviously put it down on their resume. So they are anxious to share where, what their history is. And I think um, one big mistake, and I'm sure you're, you know, being in HR, you don't love reading a million cover letters, but I think getting rid of the cover letter um, was not a great thing because that's the opportunity to tell your story. And then, you know, also resumes as a career coach, you know, I tell every I don't do resumes, but I coach around them and I make recommendations. And I will tell you, a resume is so personal. You know, I can make all these suggestions and you can take it to somebody else and they can say, no, get rid of all it, do it this way. It really is what's a reflection of you and what's going to make you stand out. And I think if you can position that correctly and then create a story around it and really owning that story is what's going to make you stand out to someone in HR. With the clients that you're working with, what are you hearing them um, experiencing at work? Like, what are some of their frustrations or challenges that they're experiencing from a work perspective that you're helping them kind of navigate through? So in the professional development uh, space, I think a lot of it is um, communication. 
I think that not being clear enough, um, Brene Brown, who's one of my favorites, says clear is kind, unclear, unkind. And you'd be amazed at how many people will show me an email and say, I just don't understand what was not clear about this. And there's no actual due date. It doesn't explain how to deliver. It doesn't you know, explain what it looks like when it's done. Um, so I think practicing on communication and asking yourself questions, um, did I answer this, 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 and this before sending, I think is really important. And know your audience too. Yeah, I, I, oh gosh, I have, I have so many because I've been, you know, on the receiving end of unclear communication or unclear expectations, but then just trying really hard to with, with my team, making sure that I'm clear about expectations. And that's a learned, that's a skill that we learn, you know, over time, I think. So are you finding people and the clients that you're working with are looking to take a step back from responsibility, from stress levels, from, um, kind of like typical trajectory within the workforce or, do you think that people are still seeking that kind of uh, those achievements? I think it's a combination. And um, I think a lot of people come to me in the career transition space because they're missing something in their life. And oftentimes it's not necessarily at work. They're missing joy outside of work. And sometimes they can combine the two. Um we do a really interesting exercise called the life story, which comes from a practice called Now What? that was started by Laura Berman Forking. It's a great book. And you write, you divide your life by decade, or if you're younger, by seven years, and uh, fact and feeling. And then we look at it together common themes, broken dreams, and driving motivators. And oftentimes, those broken dreams will show me that somebody was really passionate about, let's say, playing piano or writing or poetry or even athletics. And then as they, you know, graduated college and got into the workforce, really, really honed in on their career. And perhaps they were working some, you know, crazy amount of hours and really lost the passion for all the things they forgot that they had passion for. So sometimes it's just a matter of encouraging them to do things outside of work. Yeah, I I think seeing people as the whole person um, and that they're not just, a, you know, someone that comes in and, and punches the clock. Yeah, and that's a great opportunity for HR too, right? And I'm I'm sure it's like, oh, one more thing we have to think about. But I think longevity-wise, it's a great way to keep employees to have, you know, leadership groups or book clubs or something that, you know, feeds somebody's soul beyond the nine-to-five um, reporting. Okay, let's talk about this idea of burnout, because I feel like we, I feel like everyone at some point has felt some sense of burnout. And I I know I have a distinct memory of burning out in my last, one of my last jobs before I went out on my own and I was in tears and just realizing I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, do you, I mean, burnout is a, is a, is a real thing that happens. And and do you think employers are kind of blind to that? Burnout is definitely real. 
And I think if an employer chooses to be blind to it, they um, they could be, absolutely. And I think um, that's really the role of a manager is to have a pulse on, you know, the communication and uh, body language or Zoom body language to really see people um, and see how they're showing up and see, you know, notice patterns, um, see how they're not showing up the level of their work and just checking in. I think that's so important, especially with people who are working from home on a permanent basis. I think being able to see people eye to eye is really critical. Is there some best practice um, around identifying burnout from a management level? I think checking in and uh, providing a safe space for somebody to say, how are you feeling? Possibly in a one-on-one, maybe if that person knows that it's coming up monthly or weekly, a quick five-minute check-in, how are you doing? I always tell people um, asking open-ended questions is so much more powerful than saying, are you doing okay? The difference between are you doing okay and how are you doing? is really, you know, it's very different. It gives people a space to actually reply versus saying yes or no. Mm. I think we saw, you know, stay interviews be a a popular trend at the end of the pandemic um, around the great resignation in terms of doing those check-ins. But those things are often facilitated by human resources or, you know, a culture assessment or an all-staff survey. So how can an HR professional take that information and hold leadership's feet to the fire in terms of implementing those touch points, kind of supporting change, supporting balance? I think it's a combination of things. I think, you know, surveys are great. Uh, anonymous feedback forms are great. I think having somebody in the trenches who's going to give you open, honest feedback, which is really hard. I think a lot of people are afraid, you know, that it's going to come back to bite them or, um, or speaking out. I just think it really, it really, um, it flows from the top. I think if you have great leaders who who showcase their ability to work to prevent burnout, you know, maybe it's half day Fridays or it's, um, you know, cupcakes or it's something that you're or an extra paycheck, you know, um, I'm a huge fan of the Love Language Study, and um, Paul White co-wrote a book with Gary Chapman called The Languages of Appreciation at Work, and I think really understanding what makes somebody's uh, bucket full, whether it's, you know, you're doing a great job, so positive feedback, or an actual gift of, you know, maybe a $100 gift certificate, or just, um, I mean, I know physical touch isn't necessarily appropriate at work, and maybe a high five or an elbow or something. Um, But spending time with people too, especially in a space that has remote work, you know, checking in 10 minutes once a week could really um, benefit people. So I think um, telling people they do a great job is also really, really important to go a long way. So knowing what really makes your employees tick is, I think, critical to preventing burnout. I find it so interesting because there's so many resources and best practice and, you know, studies that support um, leadership technique and leadership styles. And yet we still choose to not practice those things. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, why 
why we continue to have poor leaders? Well, I think if nobody tells you that you're doing something wrong, you just continue to think that you're doing it right. So I think having um, asking for feedback is really important. And I think there's a lot of leaders in this world and top level C-suite executives that don't take the time to do that. I'm not really sure whose responsibility that is, if it's the leader's responsibility or HR, but a good leader at some point will recognize the patterns that people are leaving or that people are pushing back on, you know, um, certain rules or processes that are being implemented that's a really great question. I'd have to think more on that. Yeah, I think I feel like it it often falls on HR's shoulders. And then in that capacity, it can become exhausting to feel like a constant uphill battle, um, you know, around best practice and and how we have conversations with staff and how we accept feedback and all of that. Um, and that's a that's a huge undertaking in an HR capacity. Yeah, that could be a really great question to ask at the ground level, right? When you're Mm -hmm. interviewing somebody, what would you do to make sure you get feedback as you grow within this organization? Or if it's somebody who isn't, you know, super high level, what would you do to give us feedback if something you weren't happy with? Would you just leave? Would you share that, you know? One of my favorite questions now to ask on a performance evaluation is, um, is to ask the employee, what do you need from the manager or from me in order to be successful? And I think it just lends itself to that healthy conversation around development um, that is so essential for just a really strong working relationship. I agree. I, I think everything boils down to communication. I think it it really just opening the door um, and asking people what they want and having an understanding of what they need. Um, I think it's really important to have a variety of personalities and work styles in the workplace as long as people are willing to understand and work within the parameters of how other people need to be worked with. Mm-hmm. So you deal a lot with... Um individuals who are in career transition or who are coming back to work after a leave of absence, let's say, or, a you know, a major life event. And we were kind of talking offline that, um, you know, we often get pigeonholed into what we think a position needs to be or what it should be. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, how can we become more flexible and open-minded around um, opportunities and recruiting and sourcing candidates? Well, I think that's a great question. I think the responsibility falls on both parties. I think that it is up to the candidate to position themselves in a way that matches the job description. Um, And I think from an HR perspective, I think asking yourself what skills beyond what, what hard, what soft skills are we looking for beyond just the hard skills? You know, I think there's so many people that can be taught and so many skills that can be learned. Um, You know, I think oftentimes moms uh, are so incredibly talented and get that skill set gets left on the sidelines because they've taken time off to raise a family. 
And I think there's judgment attached to that. I think you mentioned earlier, we make a lot of assumptions and I think that's a big one. Um, I think um, if you added a dollar sign to the amount of hours of things that busy parents do, and it's not just moms, there's, you know, dads involved too. Um, I think that salary would be quite high between managing, you know, schedules and driving and, cook, you know, laundry and making meals and just wrestling between kids. Um, I think it's a big sacrifice. And I think um, if you send somebody to training, I think that could really be worth the investment. So I think, again, it's widening the lens and looking at the puzzle piece that you're looking for. And and just if you see somebody who has an interesting resume, and again, that's a responsibility of the candidate um, to position it that way. And somebody who really owns their story and they're really proud of taking the time off and they even put it on their resume, I think that tells you something right away. I've seen that the the challenge in really connecting previous experience to you know a current position with military experience as well. So people who were in some branch of service and are now civilian, um, I think it's oftentimes challenging for an employer to say, "Well, that you know, I don't know, I don't even know what that you know branch of service did or that position does in the military or army or whatever. How am I supposed to relate it to?" to this position that we're recruiting for. It's so interesting. So I'll share a quick personal story. I had um, a career transition client who has been a teacher for 15 years, and she is hugely passionate about the arts. So she was very interested in potentially getting a job at a local museum and being in charge of their membership development. And she, we looked at the job description for this position and we looked at all of her skills. And she not only worked with seventh and eighth graders, but she also ran the school play. She um, was in charge of the whole department. So right there, you can pull out like she, you know, she got sponsors for, um, for the program for the school play. So right there, you know, she has great communication skills. She can sell, she can corral and take, you know, be in charge of seventh and eighth graders. I mean, that's harder than some adults, right? And, you know, being in charge of a department means she is working, she has leadership skills. So we took all of those skills and put them into um, the skill set at the top. So you could see how they were parallel to the job description. So I think it the onus is a little bit on the candidate to showcase how it's transferable. Because I mean, listen, I know HR people um, are magicians, but you're really not magicians, right? You know, you can't you can't see through um, a resume and I'm sure your pile is, you know, several inches thick. So how does that person stand out? I think going, taking the extra time to, you know, translate it for somebody who's looking at your resume is really important. Yes, we are not mind readers. Although I wish we were sometimes. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> no, I was going to say, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> um, this is all great, great information and, and resources. If there's one thing that you wish the HR community did different when it comes to um, recruiting, sourcing, staffing, career development, what would that be? The one thing, if I had to pinpoint it for one thing, I wish, 
I think it's a combination. Again, I wish that people felt like HR was, and I'm sure there are organizations in a, that do this. I wish that human resources made themselves, made it clear to their employees and anyone they're interviewing that they are open and that it is a safe space. I have heard so many people say going to HR is scary. It's the, you know, the end it's, it's, I know it's going to turn one way or another. And I'm like, that's not what they're there for. They're, you know, I see HR very much. I mean, there are so many human resource professionals that are coaches and vice versa. Um, and I think the skill set goes hand in hand. And I I just wish that people didn't make assumptions um, that human resources were, you know, were not um, available to them and vice versa. So I think some of the responsibility on human resources is to make it clear that, you know, they're a team player. Yeah, I also feel like we, um, I hear horror stories of when someone resigns or decides to leave an organization for, you know, a new opportunity or just a different, um, you know, a, a different position. They are treated so poorly and it, they're treated in kind of like a very spiteful, spiteful way. Is there uh, any tips and tools on how we can look at those departures as, um, you know, more of a human experience, more of a, um, you know, not all bad, not all turnover is bad turnover and that someone is making the right decision for themselves. Yeah, that's a great question too. I think if anything, the last four years have taught us is it's a lot of it is about mindset shift, you know, and um, what purpose would it be to treat somebody who's leaving badly? That's just going to you know, I think come back to bite you. I think that if you could take advantage of that person leaving and ask them what what they wish had been different, and maybe the person is just leaving for a different opportunity, um, and maybe they won't share, but it is worth asking and making that person feel safe. Um, yeah, that would be unfortunate because I think a lot of times it's just that horrible two-week, you know, uh, I'll give two week notice and then it's just super uncomfortable. Anything like more than two weeks, I think, unless you're super high level also creates a lot of toxic work environment, you know, just leave already. Um, it's a lot of that is awkward. So I think having um, a set process and be nice about it um, could probably help that situation. Yeah. It, it helps not to burn a bridge because you, uh, you never know where you're going to run into that candidate again. And, um, I, I think it, I think it goes back to that idea of being open to receiving feedback and, um, receiving feedback that maybe not everything is what you, what you think it is or what you, you know, wish it was. There's an exercise in um, the Now What practice. It's called Mourn the Package. And I take a lot of um, my clients through this when they first come to me, because I think um, you have to decide, you know, what skills did you gain from this? What great experiences? What gifts and opportunities? What are you ready to leave behind? What do you want to leave behind? How do you move forward in a very healthy way? And I think those would be some great questions for a human resources manager to say, like, what are three of the your greatest memories here? And, you know, what do you want to leave behind? That's a very big open-ended question that could provide you a lot of great feedback. I love those questions. Those would make great questions to add in an exit interview. Yeah. Great. 
Stephanie, this was fantastic. Where can listeners connect with you? I'm at tischlercoachingservices.com. And I also am on social LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Fantastic. And as always, all of Stephanie's links will be in the show notes. So make sure that you connect with her. Um, She's got some great resources in terms of um, coaching and development opportunities. So Stephanie, thank you so much for being on Quirky HR. Thank you, Dana. 